0: Listeners, we have some amazing news. Ohio Mysteries has reached 1 million downloads. 1
1: million downloads. Woohoo!
0: Steve, do you have some, like, applause or something that you can uh, throw in there?
1: Sure, I bet I can put it <laughs> right about here.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, Steve, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, it's been three and a half years. Did you think we would still be here three and a half years
1: uh, no. I never thought we'd be this big. And it's just, it's just amazing that, you know, we're right here with a million downloads. And I don't think there's a lot of people who can say that.
0: I'm, I'm really excited. You know, I mean, that's our reward. You know, we don't get paid for doing this. So our reward is just knowing that people are really enjoying what we're doing. And the idea that a million times somebody download one of one of our stories it means the world to us so thank you to all of our supporters
1: yes yes for sure again uh just blows us away we really appreciate the support from everybody and this is just not you know this is not just us this is everybody who has gotten to us to this point for sure
0: absolutely you're our family thank you
1: thank you listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is your 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss.
0: Hi, everybody. In 1969, an oil slick on the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland caught fire. It was out in 20 minutes. Not even time for a single person to take a snapshot of it. No one was hurt. Damage to a wooden train trestle cost about $50,000 to fix. The plane dealer mentioned it the next day on page 11 of Section C. And yet, this brief blaze is arguably the most famous fire in Cleveland history. Why? It wasn't a remarkable fire. It wasn't even the first fire. The river had been polluted for a century and had been set aflame more than a dozen times before. And some of those earlier fires left millions of dollars in damage. One previous fire killed five people. Any other year, any other era, this fire would have faded from memory. But then history happened. That little river fire somehow became a poster child, galvanizing public opinion on what we as a country had been doing to our natural resources. One year after the fire, the Federal Environmental Protection Agency was born. And of course, it turned Cleveland into a laughingstock, an endless source of humor for stand-up comedians and inspiring artists, musicians, and filmmakers. So let's go back and take a look at this fire and see if we can't figure out why it mattered so much, who made it matter so much, and how it may have tipped the scales in America's environmental consciousness. The Cuyahoga River. The origin of its name is a mystery within this mystery, Back in the early to mid-1700s, the French, while they still controlled the area, labeled the river Cuyahoga on the map. At that time, the only tribe living in the area was Wyandotte, but there is no Wyandotte word Cuyahoga. Many repeat the story that Cuyahoga is a Mohawk word that means crooked river, but historians don't think so, since the Mohawk weren't from there. I've read that some children in the area grew up being taught it was Seneca for jawbone. And you could argue that the U-shaped river looks a little like a jaw. But in the end, we just don't know. What we do know is that by any name, the river was destined to become life's blood to the region. During the Civil War, Cleveland was at the heart of America's Industrial Revolution In just 25 years, it went from fewer than 45,000 people to more than 210,000. And if Cleveland is the heart in this analogy, then the Cuyahoga River was its veins. Manufacturing companies thrived along its shore. The 100-mile waterway that emptied into Lake Erie was a source of water, power, and transportation, giving birth to Cleveland's industrial flats. Some of the early companies that took advantage of this special resource included American Shipbuilding, the Sherman-Williams Paint Company, Republic Steel, and Standard Oil. There was no EPA back then. Cleveland's drinking water came from Lake Erie, so a blind eye was turned toward the Cuyahoga River companies were free to treat it as an open sewer. For decades, yellowish-black rings of oil circled on its surface like grease and soup. In 1922, people in Cleveland were wondering why their drinking water was tasting medicinal. A test was done. Yup, the city said, that nasty taste was coming from the river, which had reached the intake for the city's waterworks. But far from seeing this as a warning sign, Cleveland wore it as a badge of honor. In his book, Chemistry of the Environment, author David Newton wrote, Fundamentally, this level of environmental degradation was accepted as a sign of success. In other words, pollution was an indication that the economy was thriving and that everybody had jobs. I remember in the 1960s myself growing up in the suburbs of Akron, another industrial mecca about 40 miles from Cleveland. Akron was the rubber capital of the world, and every time we drove into town, we would wrinkle our noses and complain about the smell. Smokestacks were shamelessly puffing black clouds of sulfur into the air. If you complained about it, locals would shrug and say, that's the smell of money. So, same thing in Cleveland. If you appreciated the jobs, then you'd best not complain about the byproducts of those jobs. The poisons that were filling the river were also flammable. By some counts, the river caught fire fourteen times between 1868 and 1969. One fire in 1912 took the lives of five dock workers one in 1952, caused $1.5 million worth of damage to boats, a bridge, even a riverfront office building. They didn't even garner national attention. But you know, the things we're willing to put up with when the money is rolling in suddenly become less acceptable when the money stops. And there came a time when the industrial belt started to rust. From 1952 to 1969, Cleveland lost 60,000 manufacturing jobs. And for the first time in decades, most Clevelanders were not earning their living connected to an industry in the flats. America also had a new attitude. The 60s was an era of protest. Americans were marching against the Vietnam War. They were fighting for civil rights. It was a generation that believed in taking a stand. Here's what David and Richard Stradling said in their book, Perceptions of the Burning River. That the Cuyahoga River evolved into one of the great disasters of the environmental crisis tells us something about Americans' growing suspicion of industrial landscapes, a suspicion encouraged by the decreasing benefits that they derived from such places. Now, it would be wrong to say the fire is what woke Cleveland up. Actually, the year before, in 1968, voters approved a $100 million bond program to fund Clean Above the River and help the city make changes so its own sewage system stopped polluting the lake. People had grown tired of seeing dead and bloated rats sailing downriver on a slick of oil. They were disturbed by a university study that showed the stretch of river between Akron and Cleveland was devoid of any fish. But change didn't come fast enough. On Sunday, June 22, 1969, about lunchtime, the river caught fire. Another mystery there. Nobody is sure what caused it. It could have been triggered by a spark from a passing rail car. There was a city fireboat already on patrol. It churned through the river daily, looking for oil slicks to clear away, and it arrived quickly and knocked out the fire on the water. The flames had floated beneath two wooden train trestles that spanned the river at Campbell Road Hill Southeast, and the timber was ignited. Units from three fire battalions were on site almost immediately, and they battled it from the shore. It did about $50,000 worth of damage, but it was all over in 20 minutes. As I said earlier, the affair was mentioned on page C11 of the Plain Dealer. But within a week, the fire became front-page news. Some of the credit for it rising to prominence can be given to a pair of famous Cleveland brothers. Cleveland's mayor was Carl Stokes. He was the first Black man elected to that position in any major American city. He and his utilities director were the ones to rally voters into approving that $100 million bond that was going to rehabilitate the Cleveland River. In 1968, his brother, Louis Stokes, was newly elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. So together, the Stokes brothers took up the cause of environmental regulation and started pushing for change. They elevated that 1969 fire from a hiccup in the history of the river to something of a battle cry. And very quickly, the burning river went from a talking point to a turning point. In January of 1970, Congress established the Environmental Protection Agency, it was the very first time the government had a federal bureau overseeing pollution regulations. Four months after that, the nation held its first Earth Day, and a thousand people marched alongside the river to call attention to its plight. Now, we'd be going too far to say Cleveland's Little River Fire is what gave birth to the EPA, but two magazines, Time and National Geographic, did stories on the river and used it as a symbol for why that change was needed. The country's eyes turned toward Cleveland. Because not a single picture existed of the 1969 Cuyahoga River fire, they used photos of that huge 1952 blaze. Those historians, the Stradlings, wrote in their book, The fire took on mythic status. The river is a shadow of its former polluted self. Today, people kayak on it. In Summit County, the city of Cuyahoga Falls hosts whitewater rafting events. The stretch of the river that was once completely devoid of fish now supports 44 species. In 2019, The Ohio EPA even declared fish caught in the river safe to eat. And the American Rivers Conservation Association named the Cuyahoga River of the Year in honor of 50 years of environmental resurgence. Clearly, we need to stay on top of that. Recent reports show that even more than 50 years after America woke up from that crisis, the river bottom holds high levels of PCB and other decades-old industrial chemicals. But it's worth noting that the river has not caught fire again since June of 1969. One more mystery within this mystery. In Summit County, the city of Cuyahoga Falls was named for a series of falls along the Cuyahoga River. Falls that haven't been seen since the mid-1800s because businesses dammed the waterway and buried the falls beneath stagnant pools of water. Now, the city has already removed two dams, which have enabled the whitewater rapids that I mentioned earlier. But there is one thing that is still stopping the city from seeing the very thing it was named for in the first place. In Gorge Metro Park, a huge dam is holding everything back. It's high on city, state, and federal lists to be removed, but the cost has been holding things up for decades. The dam can't be removed until a century's worth of contaminated soil, trapped and buried behind it, is removed. Otherwise, the toxins, including heavy metals and those PCBs that are sleeping silently in the stagnant river bottom, would release like a Pandora's box sailing down the river, and undoing decades of repair. The EPA does seem intent on removing the dam. The most recent report suggests it could happen next year. But dates have come and gone before, so it remains to be seen if we'll ever get to see those Cuyaga Falls that were so impressive, a city was named for them.
1: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, mysteries.com. We are also a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts, the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Also, check out our new YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Ohio Mysteries.